You are listening to Life and Leadership, a podcast designed to connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow. And now your host, Daniel Kitchell. Welcome everyone to Life and Leadership. This is Pastor Daniel. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. As we kick off our next episode together, I'd like to start with some gratitude. And notice I use the word we there because it was you, the listener, that allowed this show to be successful in its first few weeks after we launched. A lot of you shared this out on your social media pages, which is so effective in getting the word out. I know some of you got super personal with it and you texted it out to a family member or a friend. And many of you subscribed on Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, all the places you listen to your podcast, your music, or your books. It's all there for you. And because you did that, We've laid a foundation, we have a solid audience to begin, and I know you'll be right in the middle of that as we continue to move forward. And so from my heart to your heart, I want to let you know I'm thankful for your generosity concerning your time. It means so much to me. And as I want to do with most every show we have together, I'd like to start with a question, and here it is. Are you a good listener? Think about it for a moment. Are you truly a good listener? We all want to find the leader inside of ourselves. We all want to lead with love. But if you want to be a leader, you're going to have to be a listener. Leaders are listeners. And I know for me, I struggle with this. I hear people talking on a podcast or I'm having a conversation with my wife or I'm listening to a friend discuss something. And my mind and my heart oftentimes are just pulled to this direction where I'm only thinking about how I'm going to respond to what they're saying instead of actually listening to what they're saying. And when I do that, I'm no longer thinking about the person saying it. I'm only thinking about the words that are coming at me. And I want to be better about that because if I'm going to be a leader and you want to be a leader, we can't just listen to react. We can't just listen to respond. We want to listen for one purpose, and that's just to listen and to understand. And if you want the tip of the day for being a leader, You got to be a listener. And how do you do that? Well, you look at the person talking and you understand that they are a soul. They're a, a human being that has feelings, that has thoughts. And we would be so wise to just listen and not think about what our reaction is going to be. And while we're on the subject of listening, all of you are in for a great privilege to hear my interview with Curtis Lofton. This is a great time for you to practice the art of listening, where you sit back, you open your heart, you clear your mind, and you just take in what someone is saying and let it impact you greatly. I know when I interviewed Curtis, I just sat back and I listened to his words. I paid attention to everything he was saying. And there are things that he said that I will never, ever forget for the rest of my life. Curtis Lofton is going to be so honest, so transparent, about the ups and the downs of his life, the highs and the lows, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's an open book for us, and I cannot wait for you to hear what he has to say. For those of us in Oklahoma, we know Curtis Lofton because this is where he's from. He's a kid from Kingfisher, went to high school there, small town, made a name for himself as an incredible high school football player, went on to a scholarship at the University of Oklahoma to play linebacker, where he'd become an All-American, and then he would leave to go to the NFL draft and have a nine-year career there with the Falcons, with the Saints, and with the Raiders. 
He's going to talk about all that with us. But most importantly, the thing about Curtis Lofton that we all have to understand is he's just a man. He's a man that's broken. He's a man that's been through so many different things. He's a husband and he's a father. And I cannot wait for you to hear his stories. Here is my interview with Curtis Lofton. Curtis, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me here today. Oh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Before I do anything with you, though, I want to tell you a story about you that I heard. And I don't mean to make you nervous right here off the bat. But I do want to make you uh, aware of a story I heard just uh, a couple of weeks ago about you. And I, I, I coach football here in Norman. And I was talking to a principal at a high school here in town. And we were just talking ball. He coached football years here in the state. And he had the opportunity to coach against you as an opposing team when you were in high school at Kingfisher. And he said they had a really high hopes in the playoffs until they played against you and just said Curtis Lofton ruined their night in the playoffs. And so I wanted to just let you know that <laughs> even today uh, in the state of Oklahoma, your presence is felt as a high school football player and uh, you, you still give this coach nightmares. Um, what team? Do we, can I, <laughs> I believe it was team? Piedmont. Piedmont oh, Piedmont. High yeah, we used to eat, eat their lunch. <laughs> I remember they had a running back, uh, yeah. Jimmy Puckett or Troy okay. Puckett. Yeah. I think I broke his arm two years <laughs> oh, in a row. Gosh. Well, I just thought it was funny because the principal I was talking to, he had no idea that I'm interviewing you. He had no clue that we're talking anything like that. And your name was just dropped. And I was like, man, still has an effect <laughs> even today. So it's just really good stuff. And um, I just wanted to share that with you and make you feel good about yourself, that your presence is still long felt here in the state. So um, I wanted to start just dropping this in your lap, letting you roll with this, however you want to roll with it. You've been through a lot of things in your life, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of highs and lows. What is bringing you the most joy right now in your life? Man, that's, that's, that's a very good question. Yeah. Usually people start off with a little, you know, a little layup question, but I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you went deep with yeah. this. Yeah. Love to um, hear it. You know, I think the thing that gives me the most purpose right now is, it, it took me a while to really um, know what my purpose was mm -hmm. and what gives me truly fulfillment. And let me tell you a story. Well, I'll give you a brief synopsis of where I'm going to go with this. Is, yeah. You know, for me, um, growing up the way I did, fast forward, playing in the NFL, I thought that was the biggest thing that was going to give me fulfillment and being able to buy my grandma a house. Mm. But, um, you know, it's like, I've been to church my entire life and, you know, I was very religious right. and when my faith became my own and, you know, I began to have a relationship with God, you know, God puts desires into our heart and makes them our own. Mm. And for me, what he ended up doing was, which I tried to run away for so long is, he told me that, hey, I've called you to the ministry. And wow. people ask me all the time, you know, when you say that, what does that mean? And so ministry just means service to God and service to people. That's right. And so for me, um, it looks different in many ways, whether it's mentoring, doing a small group. And um, what truly gives me the most fulfillment is whenever I get up and I'm able to use my pain for a purpose and mm. share my story with someone and help bring them closer to God or help them reconnect with loved ones that they left by the wayside or, right. um, 
or really just know that, hey, you know, God still loves me regardless of what I've been through. Wow. That's really good. So what are you up to right now? You've been on the NFL for a number of years. And what are you up to? What, what's going on in your life right now? And how are you, how are you filling the time and finding that contentment? Well, so for me, uh, I've been retired five years yeah. in August. And, um, you know, everyone, I've been offered a million jobs, coaching in the NFL, coaching in college, coaching in high school. And, you know, I would be a very good coach. But at the same time, um, I grew up without both my parents. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you talk about ministry or just anything in general, I think your first ministry is in your house. That's so, right. uh, you know, I just tell people I love God. I love my wife. I love my kids, and I love golf. So, and then, <laughs> in that order, and in, I like and that. in that order, That's and good. you know, I got a ton of friends. But um, I do speaking. I go speak at churches. Right. I speak at businesses, and you know, I'm I do some TV. I do the pre Lincoln Riley show, and I do some radio. But other than that, man, I just. I just feel very grateful and blessed to live the life that I do live. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Thank you. I, I want to just, you know, we start there with your joy and where you're at right now. And it's so amazing to hear, um, to hear the place where you are at this moment, but let's go back to uh, your childhood a little bit. And, and everybody knows you, you're just this kid from Kingfisher. You talk about that a lot. And a uh, number of shows I've listened to with you, articles I've read about you. What does that mean to be a kid from Kingfisher? When you say that, what does that mean to you? Take us there. Well, for me, you know, uh, someone told me one time, you're a celebrity. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I see, when I look at myself, I don't see a celebrity. I just see, you know, someone who got blessed with some talent to be able to go do some play football and play it at a high level. And, um, you know, I always, and you know, my wife, she was coined saying this, you know, you're really not that cool. And, <laughs> and so when I say I'm just a kid from Kingfisher, um, that's what it means. I'm just a kid from Kingfisher and uh, I don't really care about all the stuff that, you know, has came into my life. I just care about um, the things that really matter. That's good. It's always awesome to remember where you come from. Well, and yeah, and so, and also on top of that, when I say I'm just a kid from Kingfisher, you know, I'm I'm a kid that graduated with 73 kids. I'm a right. I'm a kid that um, grew up without his mother and father, and that was raised by his grandma. You know, I'm a kid that early on, you know, people thought that I had a learning disability. Mm. You know, I'm a kid that, um, you know, early on, you know, I was supposed to end up in prison, and right. so, you know, you take all that. And it boils into that's who I am. Right. And that's um, why I'm say, I always say I'm just a kid from Kingfisher. That's so good. Well, I, I know that your upbringing was, was not perfect by any stretch. It was difficult. And I want you to just take us there a little bit with your grandmother and talk about her just taking in that role of raising you and giving you the opportunities that you had and what she means to you just – Anything you want to share about how she stepped into that place when your parents were absent? Oh, Daniel, don't be trying to make me cry on him, man. <laughs> it's like when I start talking about my grandma. Oh, man, I know. It just gets me well. I feel you. You know, now that I have kids on my own, um, it gives me that much more admiration. And, you know, because I can't imagine raising three kids by myself and then taking my daughter's three kids. Mm. And 
on top of that, not just three kids, three bad boys that, you know, for there's many reasons that, you know, we were bad. We were acting out. You know, we didn't feel loved. We felt um, left behind. We felt, you know, we had a ton of insecurities. You know, we were poor. We had all, you know, all these things stacked against us. But the one thing my grandma did, uh, she didn't give us a lot, but she did give us a lot of love. Mm. And, you know, it was truly, I wouldn't be sitting here at this table with you if it wasn't for her. And, um, you know, she just did everything you could think of. She worked two jobs. She, you know, dragged us to church. She, you know, laid the foundation of, you know, of who I am to who I was to become as a man and not only a man, but a godly man. Mm. And, you know, she just, I can't say enough things about her and, you know, she's just so selfless and she's stubborn and, (laughs) you know, I love it. I love her so much. And I'm just thankful that she's my grandma. God really used her. Well, you know, it's like, um, you know, when you, when I, I talk about ministry and, you know, some people think that your ministry has to be up in a pulpit or, you know, going out and going on missions and doing different things. Your mission could be actually truly in your ministry could truly just be in your home. Mm. And so for her, you know, and she probably got discouraged so many times because, you know, I'm in the back flipping off my brother or, you know, cussing him out, <laughs> right, church, right, and, yeah. you know, so she probably felt like a failure, but at the same times, you know, that's in ministry, you know, sometimes we're called to plant the seed. Sometimes we're called to water it and sometimes we're called to harvest it. Right. And so for her, she got the planet and she got to water it mm-hmm. and she just, it, it's been great because she's got to watch me grow into the man that she always wished I would grow into. Right. What would you say the biggest seed that she planted in your life was it was one thing that she did for you growing up well for me growing up you know um you know my mom she i love my mom she's doing really well now and she's she's um we have a great relationship but right um you know she had she was fighting some vices she was addicted to drugs and doing different things and um so for us the one thing that my grandma gave to us was structure right. and also discipline. Mm. And um, it's like, I know there's in the Bible, it says that discipline at the time, it isn't enjoyable. Right. And so it wasn't enjoyable and we didn't like going to grandma's, but um, you know, by going there and end up saving us because, you know, I would say the greatest thing that she ever put into us was, that there is a Jesus, there is a God, and he loves us no matter what. Wow. That's awesome. I I have fond memories of my grandma, too. Uh, She's still with me. She's 81 years old. Uh, I call her Granny. Yeah. She's earned that name. And when I talk about her, it's it's hard not to to get choked up because she just means so much to so many. It's been such an important part of my life. And so, you know, you got your grandmother that's supporting you and, and doing all these wonderful things, planting these seeds of discipline and structure, but football was also something that really carried you. And I just want to ask you personally for you, when did you realize that God had given you a gift? Like when did you know that you had something special that no one else had that was playing the game around you? I remember when I was in uh, probably fifth grade, Mm. um, we're playing Alva 
and uh, it's out of Alva. And, and, you know, you know, sometimes in these coaches now, any coaches that are listening to this and you're coaching your son, don't put your son if he's not a running back. Don't put him in the run as running back. <laughs> don't put him at linebacker. <clears throat> and so we had some coaches that were coaching and, you know, for whatever reason, they put me at defensive line. And I was one of the smallest kids at the time. And he said, oh, you can just shoot through the gap. And we're playing Alvin. For whatever reason, I didn't get in my three-point stance. I just stood up. And I stood up from there on out. I made every single tackle that game. Wow. And um, I remember one of the, after we played the game, one of the coaches came up to me and he said, hey, he said, if you keep playing like that, man, I'll see you on Saturdays. And when he said it, because, you know, we didn't even have a TV and I didn't know what it meant. Wow. I was like, see yeah. me on Saturdays. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I remember I asked my friend, I said, what does that mean? He says that you're going to be playing in college. And I said, college? And I said, I never even thought about college at that time. And so from that moment on, I knew when I played football, I was on a whole nother level than most people. Yeah. But at the same time, I had... There was, you know, I Ryan Yet, Casey Lynn, Don Yarbrough, uh, us four were some of the best players that I've been around, you know. So right. we all pushed each other. And, um, but yeah, fifth grade was when I realized when the and, light came and, on. And then also, yeah, um, when I was in fifth grade, my he's my best friend and his parents kind of, you know, helped raise me. And uh, he said, Curtis, he said, what do you, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like most five years, five-year-olds say, I said, hey, I'm going to the NFL. Mm. He said, going to the NFL? He said, you know how many people from Kingfisher that alone go to college, but you're, you're saying you're going to go to the NFL? And I was like, yeah, I'll bet you $100. <laughs> and, uh, you know, back in the day, $100 yeah. was like, lot, you know, that's a lot, a lot of, money. of money. And so, uh, you know, when I got drafted, he sent, I got this big old plaque and, a frame check, and it says $100, you win. Oh, wow. What a story. Golly. Well, and I just have to ask, you know, as a coach myself, you know, I I can look at players that I coach or players I've been around throughout my life, and, you know, obviously you have all the physical abilities, but what was the internal thing that set you above others in high school and college? What do you think you had within you that helped you be stand out? Well, <laughs> There's a lot of things. Yeah. What football gave to me was, um, you know, I was so angry. I was mm. a very angry kid. And so in football, you can hit people and not get in trouble. Yeah. And then number two, you know, I say what separates me from what separated me from most kids is why are you playing this game? Mm. And, you know, for me, every time I stepped on the football field, um, I thought about everyone who believed in me and whether it was, you know, the arms picking me up, taking me to the football games, basketball games, whether it was the Yaks making sure I was fit, mm -hmm. whether it was the Blairs that, you know, took me to Frontier City. And there's so many people that believed in me. And I felt that if I didn't go out there and give everything I had, I was letting them down. But more importantly, I was letting myself down. Mm. And so I just felt like, you know, I wanted to put a show on and I wanted to show them. It was kind of my way of saying, 
even though I could never pay them back with money or whatever, it was my way to say, hey, I really yeah. appreciate it and thank you for, uh, you know, looking out for me. That's so good. I can, I love hearing you rattle off the names of families that helped you because it's, it's, it takes everybody to, to get us where we want to go and to hear you say those family names. And I think a lot of us can do that. And I love the, the idea of having a greater purpose on the field. You take the field and you're doing it for other people. You're doing it for your family. You're releasing your anger. Um, you know, I, uh, I look at my life and, and I can think of the last names of the Thompson family and the Henson family and people in my life that when I grew up a poor kid in a divorced home and had all of this dysfunction around me and alcoholism and drugs and all of that. But these families that I, you made me think of their names yeah. and they carry you and God used them and God ministered to them. Anything else you want to say about that? Well, you know, also, you know, with football, it's, you know, I, I grew up uh, doing hay bales and, you know, and plus, <laughs> you know, every time I, every time I got on the football field, I wanted to for them to remember me but i'll say this too that um also i think what helped me more than everyone else is football in a sense gave me a it gave me an even playing field as everyone else right it didn't matter if you was rich it didn't matter if you were poor when you play football for me it was can you play or can you not play mm. and that's what i loved about it more than anything yeah i've heard a story that i I'm, i don't want to tell for you but you share about this uh, football camp you went to at Oklahoma State yeah. as a young uh, player in high school when maybe the lights really went on for people around you and you were starting to get noticed. Can you share that story with yeah. us about how well, it all rolled out? Um, so in practice, well, between my freshman year and my sophomore year, I grew like five inches and put on like 20 pounds. It was goodness. You know, it's like. I've been the same height and weight as since I was a sophomore. And, um, you know, my coach is like, Hey, I'm going to take you down to this camp. And so I was like, okay. So I go down to this camp and it's shoulder pads and helmets. And, uh, we started doing tackling drills. And I guess there was this big, highly recruited guy and he's over there and, you know, I'm, I'm in the opposite line of him. And, uh, there's a guy and he's sitting there like one, two, three, four. He's seeing where he's at, and he realized he's in the same position. He's like, hey, man, do you want to go? And I said, yeah, man, I don't care. I'm from Kingfisher. I don't care. <laughs> and so I get up there. I'm the running back, and the guy, he comes, and he hit me pretty good. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. And usually when I'm at, you know, usually when I was practicing, my coaches used to tell me, hey, don't go full out. You know, these are your teammates. You know, you need to protect them. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I practice, you know, I didn't, easy. I didn't go as hard as – Right. And so it's my turn to tackle him. And so we get up there and bah, I just come off and I just hit him with everything I had. And I knocked his helmet off and oh um, I think I even gave him a concussion. I remember uh, Kenyatta Wright was there. He's like, coach, we got a live one over here. We got a live one over here. And, um, you know, we ran and did drills and ran 40s and broad jump and did all these things. And at the end of camp, um. I remember Bill, just like it was yesterday, Bill Clay, he said, yeah. hey, son, uh, come here. And I'm like, dang, man, I know I, I'm going to get in trouble for hurting that guy. And he says, man, um, he said, what what grade are you in? I said, uh, I'm a sophomore, coach. He said, a sophomore? <laughs> he said, you know, this is a junior, senior camp. 
And I said, no, I said, my coach just brought me down. I didn't, I, he just brought me down here. I don't know anything about that. And he's like, where's your coach at? <laughs> and I pointed to him, it was Stan Blundell, and he walked over yeah. to him, and I see him talking, and I'm looking, I'm like, man, I know I shouldn't hit that dude like that. <laughs> and so uh, afterwards, my my coach said, he said, what'd you do? I said, well, I just, I didn't hold back. And he's like, well, you want to go to Eskimo Joe's? <laughs> and I'm like, Eskimo Joe's? And I'm like, because usually we go to McDonald's or right. whatever. And so I was like, and then I said, what did he say, coach? And he said, he said, man, he said that you had the potential to be a D1 football player. Mm. I said, really? He said, yeah. And so we went to Eskimo Joe's. And after that, you know, it was, and, uh, you know, but the coolest thing about it for me was, you know, like I talked about all the people that helped me along the way. And, right. you know, I think, you know, I remember my friend Darcy, my friend Ryan Yek, his dad, Darcy Yek, they took me to my first uh, college football game and I'm watching it. My eyes are big. I'm wide open, just staring at, and just locked in. And I remember Darcy leaning over and he said, you know what, Curtis, I'll see you playing down there one of these days. Mm. And so you fast forward him at this camp and, you know, for him to say that it was like, you know, God, you know, when you look back over things and look back at your life, it's like he had his hand over my entire life and was guiding me and directing me. And I didn't even know it. And um, then I ended up becoming Curtis Lofton. Wow. Well, I, I have a selfish question here as a coach and just listening to you talk. I, I didn't really even plan to have this ask you this, but you, you've experienced a lot of coaches in your life. You've been coached through, you know as a young kid in high school, college, NFL, what coach stands out to you the most that's oh, impacting that's, you? And tell me why. That's easy. It's Brent Venables. Yeah. Um, he's singly uh, one of the best coaches. He is the best coach I ever had. Mm. And I say that now looking back, but when I was getting coached by him, I hated his gut. <laughs> and um, Hard on you. Well, he was hard on me and, you know, it just seemed like he was picking on me and you just, and he, he never let me settle. Mm. And I remember, uh, I've been in the league for about three, three or four years. And I was just like, you know what? It just hit me out of nowhere. And I said, man, it, I get it. I get it. And so I gave him a call. I said, I said, Hey, coach Venables. I said, man, uh, I said, I just want to say thank you. I said, you know, I hated your guts for <laughs> everything that you were making me do, but it just hit me. Everything that you was making me do mm. is why I'm such a great pro now. Yeah. And, you know, there is, I tell coaches all the time, you know, there's coaches, you know, coaching, and then there's teaching. Yeah. Coaching, you know, where people think, oh, I'm, I'm coaching. Coaching, sometimes coaches just yell and say all these things, and it's like, why are you yelling? What are you trying to get the player to do? And where Coach Venables, he did some he did some yelling, but at the same time, he, he was a teacher. Because when I came from Kingfisher, it was mainly about, you know, my coach told me pretty much, see ball, get ball. Hey, <laughs> if you want to blitz, if you can get there, get there. If you think it's a pass, drop back, read the quarterback, pick him off. And so, you know, once I got to OU, I was physically ready to play as a true freshman, and I didn't redshirt. And um, but the thing that was holding me back was 
I wasn't disciplined. Mm. You know, I wanted to run to the ball and have my name called when I needed to be in the A gap. Right. And so, you know, he taught me cover two, cover three, cover four, but not only he taught me the coverages, he taught me the weaknesses of the defenses and how to um, position yourself to be in great position at all times. But then also he taught me how to watch film because a lot of people can watch hours and hours of film, but if you're not watching it the right way and in an in, in, uh, intentional way, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. Sure. And so once I got to the NFL, you know, I'm just a, a rookie, but there's some guys who have been in four or five, six years, and I'm breaking film down for them and telling them what to look out for. And they was like, man, they said, how do you know all this? And I said, man, my coach taught me. Right. Wow. Well, I'm dying to know, how did he respond when you called him and told him thank you? How did that go? Tell us about that quick <laughs> he, that conversation. Huh? He just laughed and um, we got a good kick out of it. And he said, you know, uh, he said, I was young. He said, I, I probably should apologize to you. <laughs> and he said, because I was young in my coaching career. And he said, now that I'm older and more mature, there's a lot of things that if I could go back and do them again, different, mm-hmm. I would. And, but that just goes to show what type of man he is, the, yeah. you know, and, and, I, and I respect him even more for that. Now, there's been, I've had plenty of coaches that, you know, it's CYA. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't, I, ha- I have to work for you. I have to work with you, but I don't enjoy playing, sure, playing yeah. for you. I appreciate you sharing that story. That's good stuff. I want to ask just one, you know, one more football related question. Then I want to get to the heart of why I have you on the show with us. And um, everybody knows you, you played in the NFL and you had a storied career. Um, I've already gone into that a little bit with you, but uh, you know, we see as uh, spectators, fans, those that love the game, you know, we watch on Thursday nights, we we watch on a Sunday or, or a Monday night, and uh, we see the lights and, you know, just the flash of it all. But what what could you tell us, an insight could you give us about what it really is like being in the league and the difficulty behind it and the joys there, the the sorrow that might be there? I know you've had a lot of surgeries, you've uh, you've had a lot of ups and downs in your career with that, but talk to just me, talk to us about what we may not know about being in the NFL. You don't have an off day. <laughs> it's seven yeah. days a week. Um, you know, I played nine years and I've had 13 surgeries. Mm. And on top of that, you know, not knowing, you know, any guy that's playing in the league right now, you push it to the back of your head where you don't think about it, but CTE is real. Mm. And, um, you know, I got some friends who are older, but, you know, they they struggle with their memory and they struggle with, you know, they'll be in their car driving. They don't know where they're driving. And so it's those types of things. And, you know, everyone sees um, all the money and all the contracts, but Truly, when you look at a contract, the only thing that really matters, you can give me a $500 million contract and then only $5 million of it's guaranteed. That's really just a $5 million guaranteed contract. That's right. It. And so, but, you know, on top of that, um, you know, when you give, I was 21 years old when 
I entered the league, I was the third youngest player in the league at the time. Um, you give a kid millions of dollars, you know, the most money I ever had in my pocket at one time was $400. And my grandma gave it to me and said, hey, don't spend all this at once, baby. And, um, wow, you know, so there's a lot of um, things that come at you that you're really not prepared to handle. And, um, you know, I struggled early on. And it's like, you know, every time you meet someone, the question that you have to ask is, what do they want from me? Mm. Or what angle are they coming at? And so just with that whole mindset, it just, you give a, you gets a bad taste in your mouth for people. And so, you know, oftentimes, you know, I'm out trying to have dinner or whatever with my family and, you know, I'm, I, I love having fans. I love it. But, you know, when you don't get any time to be able to be normal and people come up to you all the time, you know, it, it can be kind of bothersome. Yeah. And, um, but that to me, that's the negative side of it. Sure. But the positive side of it is, you know, on game day, cause I hate practice. <laughs> I hate it working out, you know, I right. hate it. You know, we had to weigh in every Friday and, uh, you had a set weight to make. And if you were, some guys had to, uh, be at a, you know, whether they had to gain weight or whether they had to lose weight or some guys just had to maintain their weight. If you were a pound over or a pound under, that's $1,500 a pound. And so. That's in the contract. Yeah, that's in the contract. Goodness. If you're late to a meeting. Yeah. That's $8,000. If you miss the meeting, that's sixteen. So if you're late to the next meeting, it just keeps going, keeps going. And, you know, I was only late one time. (laughs) And, um. I was sick. I had the flu and um, the training staff had, you know, I, I hate taking medicine or anything. And the training staff had gave me NyQuil. And so I had took NyQuil the night before, you know, the night before they said, hey, take this before you go to bed, help with your cough. You know, you sleep good. And so I'm like, well, I don't even set an alarm. Once the once like I feel light, I wake up, I'm up out of the bed. Yeah. And so I remember waking up and I looked over and I said, man, I said, it's light out. And I looked at the clock. I was like, oh, jumped up, didn't brush my teeth, no nothing, ran, got in my stuff. And I ended up uh, being late to the special team meeting. And special team coach, Keith Armstrong, he's on, he, he just won the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. And, mm. you know, he he rolled me. And <laughs> uh, Coach Smith told me, he said, hey, I know you you don't, this isn't normal for you. And I'm going to give you a get out of jail free card. Yeah. But the things that I truly love about the NFL is, you know, you have every walk of life. Mm. You know, you have Muslims, you have Jewish, you have black, you have white, you have Mexicans. You have every single walk of life that, you know, learn to be together and work for a common goal. And, you know, people always ask me, you know, why should my son play football? And I say yes, um, because there's so many, so much, so many life lessons that I learned from playing football. And on top of that, you know, you kind of feel like a gladiator on game day, you know, when uh, you're in the tunnel and they say you're starting lineup and you hear them say your name and, you know, the people just jump up and they're screaming. And it's it's just such an adrenaline rush that really compare doesn't compare to anything else. And, uh, you know, it's it's something that I loved. And, you know, it is addicting, too. Yeah. And um, but. 
I just that that feeling, you know, just is amazing. But then on top of that, I have some friends that I'll have for the rest of my life. Right. And, you know, that's also that's the most the thing that I miss most well, about that, playing the NFL. Well, that's what I was just about. I was going to ask you is like, tell me, tell us about just some of the long term relationships you have with people you play with in Atlanta or New Orleans or anything. Just share well, that. You know, I think uh, two of the guys that most people will recognize, especially being here in Oklahoma and Big 12, is uh, Darren Sproles and mm. uh, Seneca Wallace. Oh, yeah. Um, Sproles, I played against him when he was in San Diego, and I hated playing against him. <laughs> and um, so Hard to tackle. He's so hard to tackle. But, you know, when I was in high school, we used to play NCAA football, and I used to get Kansas State. And so because Sproles was back there as a returner <laughs> and – Whoever kicked it to him, you was I would return the kicks, oh, yeah. and you know we would start a chance. Rolls, rolls, rolls. And so I, I remember when I got to the Saints, and I was telling him about that, and I also said, "I said, dang, you old man." <laughs> and so uh, we just became really great friends. And also when I was at the Saints, you know Seneca Wallace, um, he's a quarterback, which I don't really like too many quarterbacks, <laughs> but you know we're just on the same page with a lot with family and our faith and. Um, we just been connected and, you know, I go down there and visit him I, when we're down at the OU Texas game. Right. He asked me to come, he's coaching in, uh, Texas and asked me to come speak to his high school team. And so I went down and spoke to his high school team and it's those types of relationships that you build and form that, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll cherish for the rest of your that's life. Awesome. Well, that's the thing I love about coaching. It's a lot thing I love about, you know, diving into a team or, a coaching staff is it's a brotherhood and those things just stick with you. And, you know, I want to transition here a little bit and tell you about a moment that you impacted me um, just a few years ago when uh, there was an article that came out about some promises that you made in your life. And it was in sports illustrated. And I read that article uh, long before I met you for the first time. And, long before God put this podcast on my heart to do. And I remember reading that article and I was just blown away by your honesty and just your, the challenges you overcame. But in the article, you talk about two promises that you made and you want to be a promise keeper and you want to fulfill those promises. And so I want to allow you to speak to that about what those two promises were and, and uh, give us the details, man. Um, I just remember the trailer. We lived in a trailer by the railroad tracks, and you know when when it rained, we put out pots and pans. And when it was cold, uh, we went to bed with our coats on. And mm. you know, I tell people we experienced the first earthquakes because when the train would drive by, it would rattle the trailer. And um, you know, for me, I remember when I was young, I was probably about eight years old, and I remember my grandma had just got off working a double shift and. Uh, you know, she's exhausted and I just played really good. And I remember I climbed up into her lap and I said, Grandma, I said, uh, I'm going to go to the NFL. I'm going to buy you a house. And she said, sure, baby, sure, baby. Mm. And just kind of she said, well, let Grandma get some sleep. And, you know, from that moment on, my driving force was I'm going to get her this house. And there's so many times that whether it was a coach or whether it was somebody that I wanted to cuss out and or I wanted to quit. And I just remember I always told myself my grandma didn't quit on me, so I ain't quitting. Mm. And um, I remember my first year in the league, 
I said, hey, I want to buy you a house. She said, no. <laughs> and, you know, earlier I said my grandma's stubborn, and this is one of her most stubborn moments ever. My second year, I said, I want to buy you a house. She said, no. And so I just remember coming back in the off season, and it's my third year, and um, I'm playing really good. I know, you know, they are talking to me about extending my contract and doing different things. Sure. And um, I just remember being in that trailer, and I just, there were so many memories. And I said, I just meant I couldn't sleep. And I remember woke up and I said, Grandma, I said, I'm buying you a house. Mm. And she said, I already told you, no, this is the third time. And I said, okay. I said, well, I'll buy a house and it'll just sit here and rot or you can go pick it out. <laughs> and so she looked at about 25 houses and I'm like, Grandma, we live in a trailer. Not one of them 25 houses is good enough for you. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, one of the greatest things ever is we b actually bought some land and, uh, built her a house and she got to pick everything out that she wanted. And, um, you know, it gave me, it, it gave me even thinking about it to this day, it's one of the best feelings I've ever felt. Mm. And then the other promise that, you know, that I, that I got to keep was, you know, my friend, my friend, his uh, his name is Ryan Yak. His mom is Miss Yak, and she was science teacher and counselor at one of the schools. And I talked a little bit about it earlier. Um, you know, because of how I was growing up, I was really behind where most kids are in like development. And so, you know, I guess they thought I had a learning disability, and so you know, thought I was dumb. And so, I thought I was dumb. And so instead of going to kindergarten, I had to go to T1, mm -hmm. which is like a development right. uh, for kids who aren't ready to go on to first grade. And from that moment on, you know, I just thought I was dumb till Miss Sheck stepped in and, you know, she began to tutor me and began to speak, uh, you know, speak into my soul and plant seeds of, hey, you're not dumb. And she used to always tell me, Curtis, if you applied yourself like you do in basketball and football, like you do on, uh, and like you, if you did that, like you do in the classroom, she said, you'll be a straight A student. And so in my mind, I never even thought about making straight A's. Mm. And so, you know, I took her out of word and I started, um, you know, started studying. I started reading, I started doing my assignments and before you know it, I'm making straight A's. But, you know, once I got to high school, you know, <laughs> B's was good too. But, uh, Right. You know, and so I remember when I was thinking about coming out, and I remember I had a conversation with her and she said, Curtis, what are you going to do about your degree? And I said, um, I said, I'll go back. I'll, I'll go back and get it. And she said, you know how many people do that? And I mm -hmm. said, yeah. And I said, but if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Right. And, um, you know, I think in this world, there's too many people that say one of my favorite quotes is a lot of people say a lot of things that they don't really mean. Mm -hmm. And that's not me. So if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And so, you know, when I got done playing the NFL, well, let me rewind. You know, when I got in the NFL, my first two seasons, I enrolled in classes and uh, all my classes got canceled. So I took it as a sign that Lord <laughs> said, hey, you need to focus on football. And um, but after I finished, it's, it's one of the most difficult things I've ever done, because when you don't have to do something, 
it makes it that much harder. And then when you're a father and when you're a husband and you got to write a 20 page paper, mm. you know, it's a whole nother story. And, um, I, I was able, I thank my wife and thank my kids for, you know, being patient with me. But, um, last year I was able to graduate with, uh, awesome. with my degree. That's awesome. Well, I just wanted you to know that I read that article and I was just, I was really impacted by it to hear, you know, you buying your, your grandma, that house and, and fulfilling that promise to get your degree in it. It meant the world to me. And I want to just get to, uh, you right now. And, and I want you to be able to speak some life to our listeners. And I want to talk to you about your heart and, and just all the things that God has done in your heart. You're this kid from Kingfisher, you're, uh, you go to OU, you're in Norman, and then you're moving to Atlanta. And it's just a big adjustment, um, the bright lights, all the, the fame that goes with that. But one of the things I've heard you say over and over again that I think is so powerful is that there was a moment in your life when you just stopped wanting to be famous and you wanted to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And I want you to just speak about that and how what, what was that moment for you and where you that adjustment happened in your heart where fame faded away and you want to be faithful to God instead? Well, it was 2012, 2013. Uh, I'm in New Orleans. Um, I have everything I want. Mm. I got millions of dollars. I got cars. I got a beautiful girlfriend. I got, I can go travel anywhere in the world I want to go. And I just remember waking up that morning and, uh, just really looking at myself in the mirror and, and the person that I saw, I hated. Mm. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that led to that, but, um, I just, just really didn't like who I saw and I didn't like who I was becoming. And, and at the time I didn't know what to do about it. I just felt like I was stuck in this life that, it was like I was on autopilot. I'm living it, but mm. you know, I'm not really there. Is I'm just so I, I was numb. And um, you know, like I talked about earlier, I was so religious. You know, I would pray, but I'll only pray when God help me have a good game. Yeah. Or God help me heal my injury. Or, you know, I pick God up and put him down like he was a drug. Mm. And um it came to I remember I'm driving in my car and I'm just so sick of just everything. And to be honest, you know, I'm, I remember thinking to myself, man, it'd be so easy just to drive across this lane because, you know, there's so many pressures that come with being an NFL, whether it's people asking for money, whether it's, you know, the pressure to perform or, you know, for a young man, that's so much on you and not really having anybody to talk to because everyone thinks that you have the perfect life and, you know, so many people are chasing money and thinking if they get enough of it, that, that it'll fulfill their life and change it and make it all that much better. But, you know, it actually makes it worse. Um, mm. And so I remember I'm driving in my car and I see this sign. It says celebration church is, uh, it's great for kids. <laughs> and I just remember thinking I'm a big kid. So we're on a goal. And so I remember I went to this church and, I don't know. It's I've been in church so many times before and we've all been there where you feel that tug and God's really pulling at your heart. And, um, 
you know, he's fighting, fighting for you. Yeah. And he does you know, that, doesn't he? Oh, he does it. And all he asks is for us to open the door and let him in. Mm. And so many times we stand there and we're afraid that the, to open to, to open the door and let him in because we're worried about what everybody else is going to think. And here I am, you know, in the NFL, I'm an NFL player. And I felt like when they did the altar call, I was supposed to go to the front. And I said, man, I'm not going to go up there. You know, what if someone – I thought Curtis Lofton was a Christian. I heard him do this. I heard him do that. And so I remember I was like, well, all right, I'm over it or whatever. And I remember just walking out and uh, – the pastor who had been speaking and, you know, when he was talking, I was like, man, somebody must have told him all my business. Like, hey. <laughs> and yeah. so, and then he asked me to go to dinner and, well, he asked me to go to lunch. And I, in my head, I was like, man, I ain't got nothing to come with no pastor. And so, uh, you know, fast forward, you know, we started going to lunch. And uh, I remember I told myself, if I have to pay, I'll never meet with him again. And so we get there, I order <laughs> pizza, I mean, steak and <laughs> Got two desserts and all this stuff. And um, and so I go to put my wallet out and he says, Hey man, I got it. Yeah. And so from that moment on, I grew up in the church. Yeah. You know, we I love debating. And um, you know, we would just go back and forth and well, the Bible says this. And I said, Well, the Bible also says this. And so, you know, oftentimes I feel like we rationalize our sins and you can uh you can squeeze the Bible to fit whatever you want it to say or right. for you to feel. And, but the things about the conversation, and that's why, you know, it says in the Bible, confess your sins to one another so you can be free. And I remember just, um, I didn't have anybody that I truly felt like I could have an honest conversation with. And I began to have an honest conversations with him, but mainly with myself and every time we spoke, I just began to feel layers were coming off my heart. And, um, you know, he recommended that, you know, from all the trauma that I had in my life that I should go to counseling. And when I went to counseling and it was the combination of counseling and, um, you know, just God really, you know, chasing after me to, to a point to where I'm driving in my car and I just really felt like, God had me in one hand and the world had me in the other hand. And I'm just going back and forth, back and forth. And uh, I just remember thinking it's, it's enough. And I just remember saying, God, if you are who you say you are, then I want you in my life. I need you in my life. Wow. You know, I, I need a father. And I just remember clearly, like, it's really tough to truly to uh, articulate what that feeling and what I felt, but it's a feeling I never felt before in my life. Mm. And uh, I just remember crying and I couldn't remember the last time I had cried. And, you know, from that moment on, you know, I would like to say that I did everything the right way or I did this or I did that, but I didn't, you know, it's a process, you it know, is. to be sanctified. You have to go, it, you, you have to keep renewing yourself over and over again yeah. and keep, drawing close to God. And, you know, for me, when I did that, you know, I talked about earlier, like God puts things into your heart and, you know, when you become, when you become a new in Christ, you become a new creature and, you know, he changes the things that you used to want. I didn't want to go out anymore. Mm. And so I didn't want to go drink. I didn't want to go 
over and party. I didn't want to do those things anymore. And it's not because I was trying to be religious. It's because I love God so much that I didn't want to, you know, offend him. And then on top of that, I remember um, I'm a captain of the team and, you know, I was a ringleader and yeah. the guys are like, hey, you coming out with this? And I said, nah, man, I'm not coming out. And they said, why? And I said, man, I'm I'm rolling with God now. I said, oh, man, you was a Christian before you. And I said, yeah. They said, well, I'm a Christian. And I said, and they said, so you're not coming? I said, nah, man. I said, for me, I said, there's a big difference between religion and relationship. And I said, you know, I have a relationship with God now. And it changed everything about me. And so I lost a lot of friends. And, mm. you know, if I was to tell anybody, it's okay to lose some people in your sure. lives. You know, especially if you're trying to, you know, get closer to God and get to where you're going to get, you know, you got to cut dead weight. And um, so for me, when I say, you know, I don't care about being famous. I just want to be faithful. God, where do you want me to go? Do you want me to go come speak on Daniel's podcast? Do you want me to go speak? <laughs> he does. <laughs> in Tulsa, do you want yeah. me to go wherever you want me to go, God? Because I want you to, I want you to use me. I'm a vessel. Use me. And, you know, I always say that, you know, God takes us through things and let our pain be for a purpose. And so I've been through a lot of pain in my life and it's for a purpose. And, you know, God's using me. Well, I know that the things that you just shared were incredibly personal and they, they're, they're heavy and I'm thankful for your honesty. And I think the, the thing I hear uh, coming from you is that your, you know, your grandmother builds this framework out for you. You, you have these seeds that are sown and, but it became personal for you. It became your relationship and you no longer were playing church. Well, there's so many times yeah. that as Christ, Christians in parentheses that, you know, just because your mama, just because your daddy, your uncle, somebody is a pastor, that's their faith. Yeah. You have to have your own faith. Mm. And when it becomes your own faith, if you're still the same person, then you're not doing it right. Yeah. And so it's not based off emotions. It's not based off of anything. It's actually sitting there and saying, God, I, I, I want you. I need you. I love you. I need you in my life. And once you make that decision, it, it changes everything. Everything changes. And I love the, the fact that I just hear God chasing you around in your stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so... Awesome. I'm, I'm used to doing all the chasing. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so you're running around chasing people in the field and he's just pursuing your heart um, over and over again. And he's relentless. And, and this show, my heart for this podcast, and this is kind of where I want to bring this together here with you and, and speak uh, to this, you know, the, just the cornerstone of what I want to do with this podcast and is people to understand that their personal and their private life, um, they need to line up. Yeah. And, and, the fact of, you know, being a Christian in name means nothing that if we just go to church, we're playing church, or we just say these things about ourselves, but are they real? And do they really make a difference for us? And, and so f for you to say, you've had that, that moment with God in the car where he just, things changed and you said yes to him, you opened the door. Um, I want you to just talk to the audience here and how, what advice can you give for people to match up that private life with their public life and to really make sure those are lined up and we're not playing around. We're not looking the part. We're not trying to 
worry about our reputation, but we, we truly are living from the inside out. What's that look like for you? Well, for me, I think it boils down to when you wake up and, you know, Michael Jackson had a famous song, you know, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not on the scene. That's but, good though. Um, but when you're sitting there and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, it's just you and you. Mm. And you know, oftentimes, you know, myself and I know other people is when you're alone, when you're sitting in yourself, that's when I think change truly happens. But change can't happen unless you're truly honest with where you are with yourself. Right. And, you know, I think for me, if I was to encourage anybody else is don't make a decision based off because they want me to. She wants me to. He wants me to. It's what does what do I want and what does God want for me? And, um, you know, there's. There was, I can look back at, there was so many times in my life that I had an opportunity to give my life to God. And, Mm. you know, I said the words, God, I want you in my life, but my, my words and my heart weren't in alignment. And unless you get those two in alignment, you know, those words don't mean anything. Yeah. And, you know, moving forward for anybody listening, you know, there's time, there's only, you're going to mess up. Right. You're going to, you know, you're not going to be perfect. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you do everything right all the time. And I remember thinking to myself, man, God, I'll I'll give you, I'll give you my life, but let me, let me get this right. Or let me Mm -hmm. do this. Or, and it's like, there's so many times that you're trying to do it by yourself. And you know, the greatest thing and toughest thing for us to do, especially for me as a man, is to say, God, I surrender. Yeah. Like I I can't I can't do this on my own. Mm. And when you do that and you allow God and the Holy Spirit to step into your lives, I promise you it's worth it. Oh, that's so good. The man in the mirror. Yeah. I like your voice. <laughs> that was good. I mean, it's so true though. I mean, not not making decisions based upon what people want us to do or trying to please others, but just doing because it's what you want to do. And you know, that's what's God leading you to do. One of my favorite verse, verses, Curtis, is Proverbs 4.23. And it, it's written so well that says, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. And I think if we're going to match up our, our private life and our public life, and we're going to have those two that are there's no separation there. We're not a different person. We're alone than we are more around other people and we're consistent. We have to guard our heart. And what do, what do you think it means to guard your heart? Well, I'm glad you asked me because I was, I was chomping at the bit to jump on. This okay, because, good. Let's go. Um, so to me, what it means to guard your heart, you know, there's, there's a few things that I do and, it boils down to what are you bringing in through your eyes? And what are you bringing in through your ears? Because those are direct pass- passageways to your heart. That's right. And I know for me, um, some of the music that I was listening to, you know, and the things they were suggesting in those lyrics and all these types of things. Now, 
I'll be the first to tell you, like, I don't just listen to 100% Christian music. <laughs> but at the same time, the majority of the music, if you step into my car, is, is going to be gathering music. Mm. And then on top of that, what are you taking in through your eyes? You know, uh, being a man, like, I'll be the first to tell you, like, I, I notice pretty women. I love my wife. I love my wife. I know this pretty woman, but at the same time, I'm not on take that second glance. Right. I'm not on a, you know, I have friends that were talking about, hey, man, I'm trying to spice my marriage up and I'm going to put some porn on. No, 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 no. Yeah. You don't need to do that because, you know, like I said, the things that you take in through your eyes, they can they can corrupt your heart and can corrupt your morals and Mm -hmm. corrupt your values. And it only takes, you know, sin. Some sins, you know, I would say majority, I'll, I'll say all, actually all sins just don't happen overnight. It's a process. Yeah. And once you step closer, you take another step, you ne- take another step. Next thing you know, you fall off the ledge and you're all the way in sin. And so for me, it's like I have accountability partners. I have people that I can reach out to. And, and it's like I'm never going to get close to the edge without making sure, you know, even anywhere near it. Yeah. And if I do, I have somebody that's going to pull me back. That's so good. Eyes and ears. Eyes that's, and ears. That's it. That's Man. what it is in football. Where's yeah, your eyes? I know. That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and to have, you know, we put ourselves in those positions where we're on the, the ledge and the edge of sin and we have to have people pull us back. I, I love that. What's going in your ears? What's, what are your eyes looking at? I mean, those are the, the source of, of a lot of where our sin will begin. I want to just yeah, hold on. Let me yeah, also, go ahead. Yeah, please. And also, I think, um, I think for me early on too, when I when I was a new Christian, I knew, hey, I can't be, I I can't be in this situation. I can't go around those people because right now I'm not strong enough to still do the right thing. Right. And so find like minded people that you surround yourself with. You know, from the time that we're kids, we're told. Show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. And that's so true. And I laugh about it. You know, my wife and I were in friends. We were talking about the other day. It's like all these things that, you know, your parents and these quotes that people say. And you're like, when you're a kid, like, "Mm, I don't know about all that. (laughs) But now as an adult and you look back, you're like, you know what? That was so right. And that was so good. But it takes maturity and it takes life sometimes for the things that people say for you to catch up to. Yeah. Catch up to you. It's good. One of my favorite stories that I've ever read is uh, Dr. Bill Bright. He's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, who's there all over universities throughout the, the nation. And he was asked a question one time. Dr. Bill Bright was basically just, you know, asked the simple question. Tell us about how you feel about Jesus. How do you, what's your relationship with Jesus like? And the person that asked him that question just said that he couldn't even speak yeah, because he was just overwhelmed with emotion about how much Christ has done for him. And when I read that story in a book years ago, it's always just hung on me. And so I want to just finish today with you. And I just wanted you to tell us about your relationship with Jesus. What Tell us how Tell us how you feel about him and and how much love you have for him, what he's done for you in, in conclusion here today. Man, um, you know, we we were both uh, asked to be on this panel for a single mothers conference. And, yeah, it was, it was a great time. Um, it kind of just hit me when we were on that 
panel and, you know, there's so many times in my life that you don't really sit there and you just go back and just see how good God, how good God was and is. And for me, you know, when I'm sitting here, there's so many things that are just going through my head. And uh, so you have to bear with me I'll as I try to uh, articulate everything articulate and bring it out in a way. Um, you know, growing up, uh, you know, it was just so hard, so hard. Mm. And, um, you know, I remember even uh, questioning, you know, why I was even born at times. Mm. And um, just thinking about that and, you know, I just know there's so many people out there that were that are like me that question like, God, why am I, why'd you even bring me into this world? Into where I am now. And it's like, man, it's just trying to put it into words that, you know, I'm just so grateful. I'm just so thankful. I'm just, you know, because he changed everything about me. I'm not who I used to be. I remember I used to get uh, so mad about uh, when people say you've changed. And now I say, yeah, you are right. Because um, if I was the same person you knew five years ago, 10 years ago, yeah. and I'm still that person, then something's wrong because we should be growing. And as I get older and as I, you know, have a wife and I have kids and, you know, and, you know, I'm breaking generational curses and, Absolutely. Um, you know, it's just, man, God just, he just had his hand on me and it continues to have his hand on me and continues to favor me. And, mm. uh, it's, it's, it's so amazing that the God of all gods, the God of the universe, the God that holds a billion stars in his hands, mm. that he would even consider, you know, loving someone like me just a kid from Kingfisher and you know it just it just baffles me and just it's overwhelming it's so overwhelming, it's overwhelming. just to think about that and you know we I always see myself you know I, I tell people this all the time I said man if I could just see myself as God sees me then I would I would rule the world mm. and um yeah man it's just my relationship with God it's you know and people think that yeah, I, I would like to say I read my Bible every day. I don't. Mm. I would like to say I pray every day. I don't. I would like to say I don't say cuss words. I do, you know. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you know, you don't have to have everything in line to be loved by God. Right. And he loves us no matter our faults, but that doesn't excuse us to do wrong things. And, you know, I'm just so thankful that, he loves me the way he does. The word I kept hearing from you and the the tone and the the temperament of your answer was just you're just grateful. Oh and man. Just, it, it, and and I feel the same way, my friend. I mean, yeah. I just all the things that God has walked with me through and been so patient with me and loved me through thick and thin. And and so I'm just beyond grateful for Jesus and what he's done for me and my family. And uh, we're just it's overwhelming. It, it's truly overwhelming. And I just want to I want to leave it with you here, Curtis, in conclusion, if there's anything 
uh, you'd like to tell our listeners today about uh, anything you said, clear anything up, or just breathe any life here at the end, and I'll just let you finish this out. Well, uh, the only thing that comes to mind is, and if you ever heard me speak before, I say I try to say this every single time because I think it's one of the most uh, important things and vital things that um, we can take from as believers is, you know, there's 66 books in the Bible, but there's really 67, 67. Mm-hmm. And the 67th one is you. You know, people may never go to church. That's they so may good. never read their Bible. They may never go to a small group, but they will come in contact with you, whether it's in the car, in the grocery store, or, or at a football game or whatever. And how you choose to live your life will dictate who you are as Christians, as a Christian. And in the Bible, and it actually talks about, it doesn't say the disciples called themselves Christians. It says people who saw them called them Christians because not of, it's, it's, it was because of how they lived their lives. And so if I could leave anybody with anything is, hey, you not only do you not only be perfect, but at the same time, do your best to live the life of Christ and be a light into this world where there's plenty of darkness. And you never know what somebody's going through or why they're, you know, in the situation or why they're angry or why they're mad or whatever it may be. But you have an option to be a light and I hope you choose to be a light. I cannot think of a better way to end it. Be the 67th book. That's good. That's really good. Curtis, we're so thankful for your heart and your honesty, your transparency here on the show. And uh, I just want to thank you for joining us. And I know this is going to bless many, many people. So thanks for coming on. Well, that was an incredible time with Curtis Lofton. Wow. To hear his story of being that child in Kingfisher, living in the trailer with his grandmother, being raised by her, and then making it to the height of the NFL is remarkable. It's a story that needs to be shared. It's a story that needs to be told because there are ups and downs and highs and lows, setbacks and progress, failure, success, all of it was in there. But the theme of all of it that I love the most was this. God was never going to give up on Curtis Lofton's heart, ever. He wanted Curtis to have joy. He wanted Curtis to be fulfilled. He wanted Curtis to feel free. And because of that, he never stopped pursuing his heart. God does the same thing for me. He does the same thing for you. And so if you're listening to this today and you know God is just after your joy and you feel that and he's convicting you, I'm encouraging you today to say yes to him, to surrender to him and say, I want to have a relationship with you. And I rewind my mind back to the story where Curtis is driving down the road. He has everything you could possibly imagine in life but he still feels empty. He doesn't like himself. And that was the moment when it became about a relationship with God for Curtis, not religion, not playing church, not just being called a Christian by name, but living it out and having a relationship. And there is a big difference. And as you listen to this show today, I am certain that someone ran across your mind. A person was heavy on your heart that you know needs to listen to Curtis Lofton's story. So I'm going to ask you to do something very personal. Text them the Spotify link and ask them to listen. Or maybe have them go to danielkitchell.com and listen to episode three. Put life in their hands by sharing this show with them. 
And for all my coaching friends that are listening, a more specific question for you. Is there a coach that you know would just benefit greatly by hearing what Curtis has to say? Or maybe a player on your team that you know is going through difficulties and they just need to be lifted up. Share this out with them and give them the life that Curtis offered through his story. Well, it's been an honor to be with you on episode three of this podcast. Thank you for coming along with me. And I can't wait till I'm with you next time where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. Thank you for listening to Life and Leadership with Daniel Kitchell. We hope that you're with us again next time as we connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow.